This podcast is made possible by Workiva and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Frank Cole at CFO of SkyTap, and you are listening to CFO Thought Leader. This is episode number 398. Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. Hi, I'm Jack Sweeney. Is the adoption of sustainability best practices top of mind for your finance team? Should they be? On today's show, we speak to two thought leaders inside the sustainability realm. First, Dan Fogel, a professor at Wake Forest University, who recalls when his classroom was visited by the CEO of Walmart, who at the time was none other than sustainability champion H. Lee Scott. When Scott came into Walmart, he came to class and talked about their efforts, and I had the students read a case about it. And he started out his lecture, and he points to me, and he says, I'm no tree hugger like that guy. And then he also said, you know who the bane of my existence is at Walmart? It's professors who have never worked a day in their life who think they can run Walmart better than me. Then he went on to explain that his team uh, really realized that they could they could make some significant source of competitiveness. It's not just like, well, we're going to change a benefits plan. You know, it's not that simple. And you're changing people's mindset, too. And you got to get the top executives to just say, this is, this is what we're going to do. Next, we speak to... Employee performance guru, Brett Knowles. We think of the broadest context, CFOs are just scorekeepers. Originally, we kept score with dollars. That does not make sense anymore. The CFO as a scorekeeper now needs to quantify strategically which risks are bigger and which are less. On the sustainability side, it's the same thing. We know from organizing, if you think of the triple bottom line, society, financial, Uh, and uh, environmental, we begin judging organizations now by not only their financial success, but their contributions to society and their contribution to the environment. And the broader context is we've tried to change society through governments and they failed. We now need to change society through what companies do. We can only do that if we keep score differently. Our sustainability discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. Workiva transforms the way people work through connected reporting and compliance. The facts are... A majority of senior accounting and finance professionals say their financial reporting involves a huge amount of manual work and is inherently error-prone, leading to risk. Risk that's intensified by new business complexities and the changing business climate. Link data elements, numbers, narrative, and calculations together everywhere you use them. When you change data at the source, it's changed at the destination. Gaining trust in your data and processes is that simple. Join over 3,500 customers who enjoy the benefits of using Workiva by connecting their organizations from record to report. Visit workiva.com slash CFO.
at the University of Houston, Tulane University, and the University of Pittsburgh. He is currently at Wake Forest University as director of the Master of Arts in Sustainability and is the graduate school research professor of sustainability. In 2010, he established SP3, a consulting firm that helps organizations adopt sustainability practices and principles as part of their core strategies. Today, Dan, uh, his current and past clients include Duke Energy, General Electric, Motorola, uh, Key Corp, and many others. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jack. It's a pleasure to be with you. So I think the place I'd like to begin is to understand better sort of what triggers uh, you know, what finally triggers companies going down this path, starting the journey to sustainability? What is it that sort of brings them to that door of entry? Yeah, so I think, I think there are a couple things. One is um, clearly there's some norms that are existing in industry. So some industries are a little bit more advanced than others. Uh, and once one company drops, the other are. In the consumer products area, when Walmart announced that sustainability was going to be core to its strategy and it went after its supply chain to actually help them implement that, other ones like Target, Costco, and you name it, uh, actually fell in line. Um, the other thing is, quite frankly, a very little of it is from consumers, by the way, which is surprising at this point. I think it's going to increase. I think with a new generation, it's going to increase. The third issue, I think, is also uh, cost-cutting and compliance because one thing I think companies are, are discovering is that if they can use less energy, obviously, less water, um, and uh, also, and, it, and they have to comply with laws, that, that's what starts them on their journey. It certainly doesn't take them very far because uh, there's a limit to that, but that's, I think, where it starts. So those would be a couple areas that I would say. Other is every journey different, or can you characterize the journey for us and some common attributes? Yeah, I, so so we've done a lot of work in this area because that's exactly what the companies say is that, you know, and particularly if there's a couple people in a company that say, we're really interested in this, but how do we get everybody off the dime to work on it? You know, uh, first of all, I'll just start with this is that uh, Bain did a study, um, a Bain and Company recently, and they found like that 93% of the CEOs believe sustainability is important to the future success of the business. These are all sorts of side companies that are saying this. What was more fascinating was they found that only 2% of them reported that they felt like they achieved their sustainability outcomes. So, uh, so clearly there's a lot of right area here to study about, well, how can we make companies more successful? Is there a journey that we could take them on and uh, help them to be successful? So I think what happens, and this is, this is the hypothesis that we're working on, is that first of all, starting with cost-cutting and compliance is a good place to start. People understand that. Um, they understand saving money on energy, saving money on water, saving money in their supply chain. Um, the second area then is if you can get them to pay attention to that and relate it to sustainability, then the risk management area starts. So what I mean by that is that there are a lot of clear examples where companies are exposed risk-wise that uh, environmental sustainability as the source of managing that risk 
and work. And I'll give you some examples. And I think if you really want to learn about this area, the biggest area is within the uh, insurance industry. They're realizing this a lot. So I'll give you a quick story, and then we can go on from there. Um, about, oh, about six, seven years ago, the, uh, South Car- the South and North Carolina coast mayors got together, and they were really concerned about the future of their business in terms of tourism. Because what was happening is science was saying there was going to be a lot of um, sea level rise in that area, and they were going to have to spend a lot of money to mitigate that risk. Well, then they passed in the, in the, in the state legislature, they passed that, in fact, you could only plan for 2% rise in uh, sea level, where the science was saying it was going to be a lot more. Well, uh, you know, it's fine to say legislators are smarter than scientists, but when the insurance companies figured this out, they said, no way, we're not going to buy that. We think that we need to price this risk in. So they started to increase insurance uh, um, prices. In addition to that, they started to advise companies that they better get their act together and take account of climate change so that they can, in fact, um, uh, uh, be able to even issue insurance to these types of companies. So, but the economic, the, 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 these risk factors are real. So, supply chain risk, if you look at what happened in Puerto Rico, the entire healthcare industry uh, was disrupted because of Puerto Rico. Saline wasn't available to doctors' offices, only to hospitals. Medications weren't available. Uh, there's a reputational brand impact. Uh, there's clearly the potential for impact, impaired assets. So, you look at Exxon, for example, a big company with its stranded assets. Um, Human capital, recruiting the necessary talent. You know, I, I think energy is extremely worried about being able to attract the next generation of workers because of the type of business that Duke does. And if they don't try to be more sustainable as a corporation and do something about climate change, they're not going to attract the talent that they want. Um, so there, I think there are a lot of risks. So the three areas that would really get companies off the dime, uh, I, I think, is the cost where they start their journey, uh, in addition to having peer pressure, in other words, other companies in their industry are doing it, is this cost-cutting and compliance. And then they start looking at risk factors, and they say, oh, we've got to do something about that. And then they begin to discover, I think, all sorts of ideas about how they can increase their competitiveness. While cost-cutting is sort of the obvious uh, door of entry for finance leaders into this realm, is it fair to say that uh, – CEOs are the ones that most often put the ball in play when it comes to sustainability. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's only one area where I have made a lot of progress with CFOs, and that is in the investments area, because recently I've been working on a concept called impact investing. It's not, a, not mine alone, of course, but there's an increasing people who are interested in impact investing. So what this looked like in the past, was a lot of investment uh, houses were saying, well, we would do a negative screen. We're not going to invest in uh, tobacco or, you know, or, or, or firearms or something of that sort. But then what they did was they realized that there's another area where there's a positive screen where you can actually invest in companies that help you achieve both impact and environmental and social goals, but also get returns. And so CFOs have been interested in this because they're starting to see that the returns are comparable, if not better, when you use these kinds of positive screens. So most common, you see these uh, mutual funds, a lot of mutual funds. I mean, just four or five years ago, there were maybe 30 or 40 of these. Now that I can count about over 1,200 of these mutual funds that are 
really making ESG, environmental, social, and governance, as the screen on their investments. So now you have this interest of, of CFOs now. They're saying, wait a minute, uh, that's kind of interesting, right? Can we make some returns that we normally would have made? Now, given the role that CFOs have traditionally played uh, when it comes to establishing trust uh, within the organization, it would seem like this is just a natural extension of that role and helping underscore uh, the company's values to its workforce, but also its stakeholders. Absolutely, and I think I think more so than that. You know, um, I really think that there's an enormous amount of opportunity here. First of all, uh, if you think about it, it's pretty much a sham. The companies uh, produce two different reports. They produce uh, a sustainability report or corporate social responsibility report and a financial report. And um, if the CFO can put a, into place clear criteria by which they would evaluate their ESG, in this case, environmental social governance uh, uh, practices, and put it into the financial report, or just think about the teeth that that would have, the signal that it would send to investors, the signal it would send to future employees. It's a lot of guts to do that. And there are organizations working on these criteria. There's one called SASB, which is sustainable. It's like the FASB, but with sustainability accounting standard board out of San Francisco. And they're trying to say, here are the criteria everybody should adhere to, just like FASB did with financial. Now, so the CFO can play a huge role in that, um, in getting clear about what criteria they want to live by, creating reporting that's meaningful rather than just perfunctory, um, make a public commitment and would be seen different from other other companies um, and try to hardwire that change. Uh, but it has to start at the top. You know, the stuff ain't going to percolate necessarily up from the bottom, even though there's a lot of employees that care a great deal about this. Ultimately, it has to be a public commitment from the top. And, and I think CFOs have a real opportunity. That would be uh, – by the way, I, I don't know if you have an answer to this question uh, or whether there's a reason it might not be uh, appropriate for you to answer, which is, you know, are there is there a CFO out there uh, that you deserve you think deserves to have a feather in their cap as far as uh, moving their organization in this direction? I do. It's a, it's a big company example, but I have one right in the tip of my mind, and that's the, uh, the CFO and the CEO of Ingersoll Land. Uh, here's a company, unlike any others, most others in the United States, that produce one report. They don't produce two different reports. When they go out in public, their obligation is to talk about their sustainability commitment. It has completely revised their product line in addition to that. So they now have, and, you know, and they do, they do energy hog stuff like crazy. You know, they do big infrastructure projects with, with uh, HVAC, et cetera. Um, but they've made this huge commitment to sustainability, and they have a very accomplished uh, senior executive who is in the sustainability role. But you talk to the manufacturing managers, you talk to other managers in the company, and they all embrace this area. So that CFO has had to figure out, how am I going to report on this area in a way that we don't get ourselves in a sling, right, and that we don't get ourselves crosswise with investors, um, so it's been, a, and I, I can't say enough for uh, that company in terms of what they've done. And they're a leader. 
because typically you hear about these boutique companies like Patagonia or Burt's Bees, you know, and all these. But here's a here's an old line industrial company that has really made the transition. Do, do you have any sense of what was the timeline? I mean, if we turn back the clock five years, were they only uh, you know stepping onto the path? Yeah, I, yeah, I would say a little longer than that, but uh, about ten years ago they made that commitment because, and part of it was. Just like Walmart, which is people don't realize that they really are implementing a lot of sustainability uh, practices. It, 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 it was more like they turned around, they looked at each other, and they said, well, where's our next source of competitiveness going to come from? You know? And they said, we can still eat, keep eat, trying to eat each other for lunch. In other words, just take a little market share away here. But is there a way that we can really, truly create new value? And that's where I, I think that they said, hey, I think we can do this. But it's going to take – I mean, they're still working a lot on it. Uh, it's not perfect. And they got to get customers to embrace it, you know. If, if sustainability efforts cost more, you're not going to get a lot of traction in the marketplace. So are the the leaders in sustainability, are they coming from any specific part of the world, any weight class of company or industry? Uh, do they represent? I think you'll see a lot of European examples, uh, a lot of Asian examples uh, come out that where companies are really embracing sustainability. I mean, the, the bellwether companies uh, that uh, people point to are like uh, Unilever. Some of the larger companies that are like this has, has really done a fantastic job. And Paul Holman, who's stepping down, right, he's, he's, he's really championed this area a great deal. Um, but if you look at – I mean, I don't have any – Real examples off the top of my head of small and medium-sized companies. I see small companies that have no ring recognition. I'm working with one company now. It's a fascinating little company, um, and it's in the event business. It runs events all around the country, and it has a set of principles that it adheres to and lives by that create sustainable events. You know, the type of food that they use, the way they use resources. Um, anywhere from communication that's sent out about the event, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they claim they claim their business is just wildly successful as a result of that, even if the client doesn't care about sustainability. They found it has changed their competitiveness in a way that uh, not only saves costs but makes them more innovative in the way they approach events. I think that's an interesting example. So, for example, a company uh, could enlist this events company uh, to organize an event for their employees, and the employees would in some way uh, be indoctrinated uh, with the sustainability mindset that the events company exudes. Absolutely. Absolutely it does. You know, and in fact, that's one of their missions in life. And why I applaud this company is because what they do um, is they also view their job is to institutionalize these practices. So they don't miss an opportunity to instruct people about this. And, and they don't throw it in people's face. In other words, they, they'd rather have somebody experience something and say, that was interesting, and then say, hey, that's what sustainability does for you, rather than saying, here, I'm a sustainable company. is what I'm going to do to you. Right? And so – it becomes a way of – it's just like any core competency of a firm. It's really hard for the core co- – for customers to discover competencies of the firm. It's under the hood. It's what drives them. 
And so uh, sustainability can be that. It can be a core competency that then confers value on the organization. And sometimes the customers don't even see it, don't even realize that that's what's really driving the true value they're getting. So I, I think there's a lot of legs here to the, to the area of environmental sustainability generally or sustainability in general uh, in a variety of areas. Can I ask you a little bit about your your when did sustainability first become uh, you know a, a large focus for you as a professor who's taught in all sorts of areas of business? What would you share with us? So what happened to me was I mean I don't want to say it was an epiphany but it was a change in my life. I worked in, East, in Central and Eastern Europe for a long time. I worked for George Soros and uh, and I did some investment stuff, but I did mostly philanthropic stuff for him. Uh, but one of the one of the investment side stuff I did was uh, I was hired by to value uh, Central East European companies along with PricewaterhouseCoopers. A couple of us were on a team, and the the, the idea was that that uh, in the transition from the, the communist era to a market economy, there had to be values put on these companies so that they could privatize them. So we ran around all over Central and Eastern Europe looking at companies and. Trying to put values on them, and sometimes they, you know, go into the stock market. Sometimes it would just be a private sale, or the government was intending, or whatever. But I started to realize that there was all these unpriced items there, uh, mostly environmental uh, risk factors that were totally unpriced in in the prices that were being offered the market. And yet, when people bought those companies, they were going to be assuming incredible risks. As a result of that, and in fact, the country itself had invested in environmental sustainability, and that's when I was curious. I said, "How come there's these unpriced elements and nobody's really doing it?" Now, in Germany, they did. A lot of people wanted to buy in the in the Trojan, it was called. They wanted to buy the companies, but um, and so the German government said, "Well, don't worry about it. Anything that happens before you buy the buy the uh, <laughs> company is not your responsibility." Well, how the hell are people going to know that? Yeah. So when you have environmental risk, you know, they're going to come after you no matter what. So that's when it became really interesting. I said, why aren't more companies thinking about these issues? Why aren't they taking into account? Why aren't they more careful about it? And how would you price these items? How would you price this kind of uh, degradation? And also, how would you price natural capital as a source of capital? So the BN report that you mentioned earlier – uh, was that was that good news? Yeah, they pointed to three areas. One, they pointed out that about a quarter of the companies reported that the lack of investment in resources, uh, resources. So they weren't willing, or they hadn't, they hadn't made, they weren't willing to make. I don't know which of the two um, the investment is necessary to make this happen. Because you're not just talking about changing mindset; you're also changing and say, talking about changing supply chains. You know the way your operations work, maybe the way you know the way your employees work, etc. Um, second is there was some reference to uh, uh, a lot of reference to uh, competing priorities, but sustainability tended to take a back seat. Um, and then they felt that another part was that this is more of a culture change as well that is involved in sustainability. So that takes time. That takes a long time. So I think they were wildly optimistic that they could just tweak a few things and they would be on the sustainability bandwagon. And clearly that hasn't. You know, uh, 
You know, the Bain study said, well, they said only 2% of sustainability programs are successful. 81% of the CEOs said, well, it's a little bit diluted from where we were. And only 16% said it failed outright. Right, right. To me, I'm, I'm wondering the commitment by the leadership. I mean, it would seem to me that the, the CEOs, if they really are saying we're changing our culture, as you described Walmart uh, as having gone down that path, it, it seems like there was some wishy-washy. <laughs> I, I don't know. They, they weren't fully committed, maybe, to, uh, to, to Right, right. Yeah. And, and, and many of them didn't make a public commitment. You know, so it, it, I think there's – there's a lot to be said for making a public sustainability target commitment, you know, statement that we're going down this path. Um, I think there's a lot, and, and the companies have done pretty well, have done that and held themselves accountable for it. So you remain encouraged by what you've seen to date and uh, where this opportunity appears to be now. In addition to all of the legislative change and uh, that's needed and, and big change management commitment to big sustainable goals, especially the Paris Agreement and all that. I think all that's needed. I'm, I'm really enamored by this investment area, and I think there's a lot of legs there to actually push, motivate people to pay attention to sustainability, which will include, in addition, pricing natural capital. And I think that is something that CFOs are going to see more and more of, that this this unpriced area of natural capital. So when they go to build something, they need they could probably take into account preserving the natural environment in lieu of building infrastructure to protect themselves from whatever it is, sea level rise or adverse events or things of that sort. And maybe the investment in nature is going to be actually better than keep putting man-made structures into place. And there's untapped value in natural capital and the way that they approach natural capital. Now, this is a whole other podcast we could have, but I think in the future there's going to be more and more of this come along uh, and thought about. And, again, I, I can't say it enough, the insurance companies are going to lead the way. That's where you're going to take your lead. They're most vulnerable. Dan Fogel, founder of SP3 Consulting, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Hi, it's Jack. I just wanted to mention that we were just about completing a recording session for another podcast that I record with Brett Knowles. When I touched on sustainability, I mentioned to him 
that uh, we were putting together this episode. Wanted to see if he had some thoughts uh, to contribute. And, of course, he did, as usual. Quite insightful. I think you'll find them. Uh, But in any case, here's part of that discussion. Oh, wait. I meant to ask you, is sustainability something that your world is uh, focused on as of the moment? Well, let me tell you about that, my friend. So this is the journey I've been on for the last two years. If you look at my last, I'm going to say, 20 blog postings or my last, I'm going to say, 50 YouTubes, it's all about building the sustainability scorecard. And this is what it was that we were delivering in Croatia, uh, in Paris a couple of weeks ago, in London before that. Uh, this has been what I've been chasing down. And it's you know, how it is we chase down what we used to call the triple bottom line. I'm now calling the triple top line. And so we've actually built a sustainability scorecard, which is you know adding those attributes onto a scorecard. And um, we've been delivering this in multiple countries, but also in multiple seminars and white papers and so on. So other than that, I'm kind of sitting on the fence. For those finance leaders uh, seeking to play a, a greater strategic role, is this uh, a door of entry? I wouldn't talk about it, the CFO becoming more strategic. I would say that if we think of the broadest context, CFOs are just scorekeepers. Originally, we kept score with dollars. That does not make sense anymore. The CFO as a scorekeeper now needs to quantify strategically which risks are bigger and which are less. On the sustainability side, it's the same thing. We know from organization, if you think of the triple bottom line, society, financial, uh, and uh, environmental, if you take a look at companies like Nike, they they totally screwed up the society one by using being guilty by association with child labor and so on. And they've they've seriously overcorrected and, and done the right thing. But we now need to add that into our 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 scorekeeping. What have I done to society? Am I paying my people fairly? Am I treating them right? Am I treating my communities right? And the environment. You know, how many plastic bags am I dumping into the ocean and so forth? And we begin judging organizations now by not only their financial success, but their contribution to society and their contribution to the environment. And the broader context is we've tried to change society through governments and they failed. We now need to change society through what companies do. We can only do that if we keep score differently. I think Dan Fogel gave the uh, example of Duke Energy looking to adopt uh, sustainability best practices to help attract talent. Um, Is that? Well, I'll give you a better example, LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is all about changing society, right? The triple bottom line, they're not focused on environment. They're, they're focused on society. They're focused on relationships and um, the people that they hire have to be people that want to contribute to society working better. And so that's a great example where having a mind about society allows us to influence the workforce. We are contracted by the AICPA, by the way, to develop a risk scorecard because controllers are being asked to put risk frameworks in place, and we never taught them how to do that. The sustainability stuff was done for CPA in Canada for the same reason, that in Canada, 
CPAs and certainly in Europe are being expected to do reporting against the triple bottom line, uh, what they call the integrated reporting structure. And so uh, they've given up on committees trying to get this stuff out. They just contracted us to go build that. So we've built that framework for them. And so these are things which are germane. Yes, they impact workforce, but they're germane to the CFO themselves. Many thanks to Dan Fogel and Brett Knowles for sharing their insights with us on the topic of sustainability. Certainly, there's much more to explore here, and uh, perhaps we'll have them back on again soon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.